Hey folks, JR. Back for another episode of Mayhem in the Mid-South. It's going to be episode 10, Bloody Lester Street, part 3. Miss Robinson's body was located in a seated position on the floor with her back to the sofa, her legs extended, and her head to the side between the sofa and the love seat. Her shirt was pulled up, exposing her breast, and her pants were pulled down, exposing her lower body from her waist to her knees. A clear plastic bag containing what appeared to be three to five rocks of crack cocaine were found on the outer portion of her vagina. Sergeant Mullins concluded that Miss Robinson's body had also been staged after the shooting and that she had been pulled from the sofa to the floor near the time of or shortly after her death and her clothing was then altered. Now there was little blood found on the floor beneath her body but a nearby sofa cushion was stained with some very thick coagulated blood. Sergeant Mullins described that as being consistent with the type of blood loss that would occur from a gunshot wound like the one Miss Robertson received to her leg. Miss Robertson's pants were also saturated with blood and the bullet holes in her pants corresponded to the location of the gunshot wounds to her legs. Of course, this is indicating that her pants were covering her legs when she was initially shot, and then they're pulled down afterwards. The bag of crack cocaine also appeared to be part of the staging, as it was only slightly touching her and appeared to have been placed on her body. On the floor beneath and around Miss Robinson's body were items that appeared to Sergeant Mullins to have been emptied from a purse, although he couldn't find the empty purse in the room. Now, these items were not collected as evidence, and Sergeant Mullins could not recall seeing any type of identification, although he did recall seeing Miss Robinson's cell phone and photos among the items on the floor. Now, three hairs were collected from Miss Robinson's right leg, thigh, and buttocks and they were sent to the FBI for testing. Now, considering the dirty condition of the home and the considerable traffic through it during the previous months, Sergeant Mullins didn't view the hairs as significant, and his opinion was they easily could have adhered to the body when it was moved. Sergeant Mullins believed that Miss Williams' body, too, had been positioned after the shooting. Miss Williams' body was located on the floor, slumped over onto Miss Robertson with her legs positioned across Miss Robertson's legs. He pointed out, however, that the carpet was bloodstained on the side opposite of the way she was leaning. Additionally, Miss Williams' legs were lying across Miss Robertson's legs, indicating that Miss Williams' body had been staged after Miss Robertson's body had been positioned on the floor. 
Now, Tony Mullins testified that Mr. Seals' body was located across from the front door and near the door connecting the kitchen and the living room. Now, however, Mr. Seals' body would not have been visible upon entering the home because of the big screen TV blocking the view across the living room. Mr. Seals was wearing a black shirt and black pants. Now, his pants were pulled down to below his knees. A cup and a wallet were found near his body, as was a purse with the contents inside. Now, that purse was later identified as belonging to Miss Williams. Inside the kitchen, just beyond Mr. Seals' body, officers discovered a spent projectile under a table and a defect in the kitchen wall, which appeared to have been made by gunfire from the living room. Although Sergeant Mullins believed that Mr. Seals was shot in the area where he was found, he gave the opinion that Mr. Seals' clothing and body were altered after the shooting. He pointed out that a pool of blood on the carpet near Mr. Seals' body had a void in it, an area where the carpet was not bloodstained, indicating that something had been covering the unstained area of carpet when the blood pool formed. The carpet was bloodstained on the opposite side of Mr. Seals' body as well. Now, based on the bloodstains, the distance between them and the location of Mr. Seals' legs, one on top of the other, Sergeant Mullins believed that Mr. Seals' body may have originally been lying in the area of the void and may have been rolled from that area when his pants were pulled down and his wallet removed. Sergeant Mullins testified that all the sharp force and blunt force injuries sustained by the deceased and surviving children were inflicted with kitchen knives and wooden boards that the suspect or suspects would have found in the home. Sergeant Mullins pointed out that officers discovered a gray plastic silverware tray overturned on the floor of the kitchen, but they did not recover an intact set of kitchen knives. In total, officers found five knife blades throughout the home, including the blade that was found in C.J.'s head. The word Farberware, a brand of kitchen knife, was printed on one of two blades recovered from inside the bathtub. Officers also recovered one intact knife handle and what appeared to be broken pieces of another knife handle. Tony Mullins believes the perpetrator... Remove the knife handles from the blades after the assault. Now, officers found bloodstained and broken pieces of wood in various places, including the hallway, the bathroom, and bedrooms. Now, according to Sergeant Mullins, the suspect's use of guns, knives, and boards already present in the home would seem to indicate that the suspect was familiar with the home. Officers found blood spatter throughout the home, and according to Sergeant Mullins, the large amount of blood spatter found in the bathroom and bedrooms one and two would be consistent with a prolonged one-on-one struggle rather than a more rapid execution of the children. He noted that the bathroom floor, the bath mat, the area around the bathtub, and the outside and inside of the toilet were stained with blood. 
a substantial amount of blood had pooled inside the bathtub where CJ was found. A bloody partial palm print later matched to Samario was found on the tile wall of the bathroom. Sergeant Mullins described the palm print as a transfer stain, which resulted from a bloody object or body part coming in contact with and transferring blood onto another surface or object. Sergeant Mullins identified cast-off blood stain patterns on the bathroom wall over the toilet tank. Now, this pattern is produced when blood that has adhered to an object or weapon used to strike a person multiple times is cast off the object or weapon during the attack and onto a nearby surface or object. Sergeant Mullen stated that the cast-off spatter on the wall above the toilet consisted of three distinct trails, indicating three different blows. The top trail, which he described as almost horizontal on the wall, indicated that the victim was close to the wall when the blow was administered. Sergeant Mullen stated that because the cast-off was a fairly wide pattern, he believed it came from one of the boards rather than a knife. Although he couldn't definitively identify, that's a hard word for me, the weapon that produced the pattern. On the wall over the bathtub and near where CJ was found, Sergeant Mullins noted still more cast-off spatter, which could have come from either a knife or a wooden board. On the wall near the soap dish, he noted cast-off spatter from a different blow, and he identified still more cast-off spatter on the wall above the bathtub faucet controls, which was indicative of additional blows. Now, he observed a smeared-type transfer stain further down inside the bathtub, as well as a thick amount of blood in the corner of the bathtub, all of which would have resulted from cast-off. On the wall next to Samario's bloody palm print, Sergeant Mullins identified even more cast-off spatter, but he could not determine if it was associated with the bloody palm print or if it resulted from a different blow to the same person or a different victim. On top of the toilet tank, Sergeant Mullins identified impact blood spatter which occurs when an object strikes a bloody surface. Now, towards the bottom of the toilet, he found a blood transfer stain. Sergeant Mullins also noticed that blood had dripped down from above, hitting the toilet tank and running down inside the toilet bowl. He testified that this particular pattern was likely produced by an actively bleeding victim positioned above the toilet tank testified that the pattern had been dissipated by water or someone wiping through the dripped blood. He also testified that the blood spatter indicated that someone had raised and lowered the toilet seat. Based on the cast-off pattern, Sergeant Mullins gave the opinion that at least one and up to three blows were struck in the bathtub. Now, based on the dripped blood and Samario's bloody handprint on the wall, he concluded that more than one victim had been assaulted in the bathroom. Sergeant Mullins also noted that three green beads 
similar to the ones found in Cecil II's hair, were recovered in the bathroom next to a large drop of blood. Now, while he admitted that the beads could have been on the floor prior to the attack, Tony testified that the beads also could have fallen out during an attack on Cecil II in the bathroom, which would just make sense. The kids see mommy and daddy being attacked by the uncle. They're all going to take off and they're all going to hide and they're probably going to try to hide together. Sergeant Mullins explained that there was a lot of movement in the bathroom. There's more than one blow that was delivered in the bathroom. He says you've got several pieces of broken wood that would be indicative of at least one good blow, but from the blood evidence, there was more than one, and there's movement within that scene. Sergeant Mullins also testified about the blood evidence in bedroom two, where Samario's body was discovered face down on the floor in a pool of blood. Inside this bedroom, officers found two wooden boards and broken pieces of braided hair scattered across the floor. Tony Mullins said that a forceful blow to Samario's head would have broken off the weaker braids. The broken braids scattered across the floor in the pool of blood beneath Samario's head suggested that the the suspect struck the fatal blow while Samario was lying on the floor. Large spots of drip blood on the carpet suggested to Sergeant Mullins that Samario may have aspirated. I'm sorry, that Samario may have aspirated blood, vomited blood. However, Sergeant Mullins believed that some portion of the assault on Samario occurred in the bathroom. He explained that the level of violence delivered to Samario couldn't have happened in bedroom two without some additional blood evidence. So there had to be some movement after the fact. And obviously he's got the, the bloody palm print from Samario in the bathroom. So that tells you the assault began in the bathroom on Samario. In bedroom one, where Cecil II and Cedric were found. Investigators found bloodstains on the bed, the window blinds, the wall by the bed, the ceiling fan, and the ceiling. Sergeant Mullis testified that the blood spatter was multi-directional, indicating that multiple blows had been delivered in bedroom one. Sergeant Mullins believed that the cast-off blood spatter on the ceiling and ceiling fan resulted from a knife being raised overhead between downward stabbing motions. On the floor beneath the bed, investigators found 17 more green hair beads like those in Cecil II's hair. In bedroom one, Investigators also located a blood-stained wooden board, an intact knife handle, which was lacking a blade, and two knife blades lacking handles. The first knife blade found inside a pillowcase beneath the pillow and the pillowcase had been bent into an S shape and had blood on it. 
Sergeant Mullins believed that the blade was bent when the knife handle was removed, and he found no evidence to suggest that the blade had been twisted and damaged during the stabbing of the victim. The second knife blade found beneath the mattress in the wall and almost on top of the box springs was discovered only after investigators moved the bed. In the dresser of the master bedroom, investigators located a box of 11 or 12 rounds of 9mm ammunition. The items were stored in an area beneath the bed. Now, the officers collected two cordless telephones from this area, including one from the floor between the dresser and the laundry room, and another from further back in the bedroom. Sergeant Mullins gave the opinion that the suspect in the living room could have trapped the children by standing in the doorway of the living room. Now, although doors leading to the outside of the home were located in the laundry room and the master bedroom, to reach those doors from the hall bathroom or from bedrooms one and two, the children would have had to have walked through the living room. In addition, the door in the laundry room was secured by a tied cord and appeared as if it had not been used in a while, and most of the windows in the home had bars. According to Sergeant Mullins, the suspect spent considerable time in the house staging the crime scene after the murder. Tony's opinion was that all four adult victims were moved either close to the time of death or after death, and he noted that Miss Robertson was not petite and that pulling down her pants as well as those of Mr. Seals would have taken time. More time would have been required to position Mrs. Williams' legs across Miss Robinson's legs, to place the marijuana in Cecil's hand, and to place the crack cocaine on Miss Robinson's body. Now, Tony stated that additional time was probably spent moving some Mario. Now, if he was indeed assaulted in the bathroom, and later moved to bedroom one, that's going to take a little bit of time. Now, removing the knife handles and hiding the knife blades and pillowcases and under the mattress would have taken more time, as would collecting and removing from the scene all but one of the knife handles. Tony pointed out that the guns used in the shooting were removed from the scene and he believed the loaded shotgun had been positioned atop the clothing after the crimes had occurred. Sergeant Mullins explained that some additional time would have been required to locate, collect, and place 16 shell casings in the sealed Ziploc bag. According to Sergeant Mullins, it took enough time to alter things in this scene as opposed to boom-boom, stab-stab out the door. There's a difference if you consider all the movement in the scene after this is done. It's going to take a few minutes, but not necessarily hours. Now, in his opinion, the staging of the crime scene indicated that the perpetrator was familiar with and comfortable enough to remain in the home for the time needed to finish altering the crime scene. Just think about it, folks. If this is a home invasion gangster 
deal. They're, they're not going to sit around and tidy up the scene. Sergeant Mullins observed that having knowledge of gangs and drug activity would have been useful in staging the crime scene. However, based on his experience investigating more than 100 gang-related homicides, Sergeant Mullins was of the opinion that gang members would not have remained inside the home following the murders and would not have gone to the crime scene unarmed and used weapons they found in the home to commit the offenses. Yep. That's right. Sergeant Mullins was unaware of any gang-related homicides in which women were murdered and children were assaulted and killed with knives and boards. Yep. 